0: everyone and welcome back to RPG R&D. I'm one of your hosts, Jess Geyer. I am one half of Funny Games and I make role-playing games and I'm here with my co-host, Craig Campbell. Hi, Craig.
1: Hi, Jess. Yeah, I'm Craig Campbell. I'm the owner of Nerdburger Games and I also make tabletop role-playing games and we have a guest here today returning to the show. Brennan, hello.
2: Hello.
0: Hey, Brennan, thanks for coming back. Yeah. Didn't scare you off yet. No, not yet. <laughs> uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself?
2: Hi, uh, my name is Brennan Taylor. I'm one of the uh, owners of Galileo Games, where we make uh, tabletop role-playing games, including Bulldogs, uh, Katanas and Trenchcoats, and Thousand Arrows.
1: There's been a lot of Katanas and Trenchcoats activity lately, I saw. Yes, yes. I am a backer.
2: <laughs> uh,
0: I, yeah. for some reason, my, my brain first went to, like, in real life, Like, was there something related
1: to you? Was there a meme I missed? I need to
0: know. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but we're we're excited to have you back. And we're excited to talk about some GMing topics today. What's our GMing topic, Craig?
1: Oh, as Jess pointed out before we hit the record button, it's a bummer. (laughs) It's a bummer of a topic. What happens? (laughs) What do you do when your campaign fails? Womp womp. Yeah, and I think that we can look at that from a few different standpoints. Um, the the campaign may fail simply because the the campaign, the people that are playing it, it just kind of peters out. Like for some yes. reason, there's some reason that you can't get people together, or the schedule becomes um, less regular, and then just kind of falls apart. And there can also be, you know, the the situation where like everybody's showing up and the game's going along, but It just isn't jiving for people. It isn't working for people. They're not really getting into it. Or maybe there's like the big story arc that's being dealt with. And um, like the characters have a massive, massive failure at the end, defeating the big bad or overcoming the big obstacle at the end. And it all just falls apart. And that can be kind of disheartening, too. So we're going to talk a little bit about how it can hurt. (laughs) And they can tug at your heart when something doesn't, you know, something that you love so much just doesn't quite pan out the way you want
2: it to. When you mentioned scheduling issues, that's the best, that's the way that uh, gamers indicate their disinterest in a game. Is by having scheduling issues come up. <laughs> it can <laughs> yeah. be, yeah. <laughs> it's a uh, it's a way to ex- extricate yourself from a game in a way that doesn't uh, hurt feelings. I think is one of the reasons that that happens.
0: Yeah, it's the let's get lunch sometime versus yes. the hey, let's play a game.
2: Right. Sometimes. <laughs> yeah.
1: We should we should all we should all get together sometime. Yeah. And then you never yeah. do.
0: But that's a really good point. Yeah, people will. They will tell you, because it's it's kind of weird to be like, well, your, your game, Jess, your game sucks, and I don't right. want to be here
1: anymore. Or, or <laughs> maybe what they would say, but they still don't want to say is, I'm just, it's just not doing it for me. Right.
0: It, they're still, it's still a little, that's more awkward, and like, people don't want to hurt each other's feelings, right? Yeah. So the, I'm just not going to show up. I'm going to kind of <laughs> extricate myself from the situation. But Brennan, yeah. that's that's a very, I've. I have done this to people and I feel bad about doing it. Like I know I'm busy or I'm just not, I'm just not going to keep showing up regularly. I'm not going to carve that place out in my schedule to make it a priority because I'm feeling like it's not a priority. It's not hitting the buttons. I would prefer to do something else with my time. Is that a failure on the part of the campaign? I mean, that's, I think that's maybe one of the definitions of it.
2: I think so. I mean, like, yes, it's failing you certainly uh, in some way because otherwise you wouldn't want to drop out, right? Mm-hmm. So something is something is not working, and it may just be incompatibles play styles with the other people, but it also could be that you know the campaign's just going in a direction that's not interesting to you or not fun. So you know you you try to to pull yourself back from it in in some way. And when too many people do that, your campaign fails. So yeah. <laughs> I think we don't talk about this enough, honestly. <laughs> you know? I think so. I think we're, <laughs> we're, all, we're all sitting
1: here just like feeling bad for ourselves. And, and, and Talking about how, well, we've kind of done this occasionally too. I, I think yeah. a lot of people have. But, you know, coming from the, again, we're kind of in the position of the GM is, has certain, oftentimes more responsibilities, more varied responsibilities than the other players have. So a GM kind of, you know, can take it personally, Mm -hmm. um, can feel that it's a commentary on them as a GM, um, Mm -hmm. as on them as a storyteller, on them as a person, um, as a friend. And I think the, the most important thing to think about all of it is like, barring the idea that the player is like if if you and the player just aren't going to be friends anymore if that's if that's falling apart that's a whole different beast but if yeah, it's literally absolutely. just the person doesn't prioritize your game anymore it's not because you're necessarily a bad gm or a bad person or it's you know it's it's the thing's just not working for them and the the thing that we as gms because we can't take it so personally is to have to think about and keep in mind is that there are reasons
2: mm-hmm. and
1: th- there are a multitude of reasons um that might ultimately lead to one or more players dropping out of the game and not wanting to be involved anymore. And sometimes some of them right. are life stuff and yeah, job have stuff. Nothing to do
0: dynamic. with the game. Yeah. It's a, it's right. a combination Absolutely.
1: of things that you're just not privy to all of the intricacies because people are complex and we have all sorts of things going on and to not take it personally and regroup if necessary and, and find like, you know, talk to the remaining players, or if you can try to entice the, the people who were kind of, potentially leaving or, or kind of causing the game to fall apart, you know, talking to everybody and seeing like, well, maybe we need to play something else, or maybe we need, uh, maybe we shake up and have somebody else GM. So we have a different style or play a different, you know, play a different game, play, um, less often. So it's less Mm -hmm. of a commitment, Mm -hmm. um, or, or switch the schedule up to find a day that works better so that we can get the game to fall on days where it's easier for people to commit or just figure out what it is about the game you're playing that's not working um, for the players and have that honest conversation. It's possible that everything went far afield from what you discussed in session zero and suddenly the game is very different um, and half the players are not happy with it.
2: It is what you said it was going to be and it's just not clicking with some people, um, which is distinctly possible and that's definitely something to talk about if you want to keep playing with those people so that you know how to uh, get those things Uh, resolved. And I think uh, game postmortem is definitely something that should be done when a game ends so that people can sort of talk about the good and the bad things about it. But you definitely need to frame it in that way, good and bad, because if people, if it's just going to be a bitch session, a lot of people aren't going to participate because they don't want to hurt anybody's feelings, unless they're real jerks, you know, and why are you playing with those people anyway, so.
0: Yeah. This happens. I mean, I'm a teacher and this happens sometimes with lesson plans. I will make a lesson plan that I think is going to be really cool. It's going to be really engaging and I get there and I start teaching and it falls flat and it can just like as a GM, it can feel very personal to me because I've spent all this time. I'm trying my best to get this in front of the students and there's not a click. So I feel like it's, they're condemning me or maybe I feel like they're not, they're not trying to give me back the energy But the the thing that I do, and I think it's a good strategy for a GM too, is to stop, say, hey, I feel like this isn't working. Do you feel the same? Because sometimes I misread the situation and they're fine. They're just maybe tired Mm. that day. Stop. This isn't working. Let's do something different right now. Let's just take a break from this. And then we're going to come back and talk about what was happening after I have a little bit of a moment to reflect. And that way, you can kind of distance your emotions in that moment too. You give yourself a little bit of a buffer. You're getting a different activity. You're rebuilding maybe some relationships. Maybe you do a board game night. Maybe you just all go out to eat, something like that. Mm-hmm. And then have the conversation away from the table. No dice out. No paper, no character sheets out. And ask, okay, why was this falling flat? Was it the setting? Like, and ask some specific questions. Was it was it my GM style? Was it the setting? Was it your characters? And sometimes it might just be like one puzzle piece that they can solve. Like I didn't like this character that I was playing. I want to play something different. It right. wasn't working with me. That's an easy fix.
2: And I and I've had games fall apart over the system.
0: Sometimes. Yeah, the system. This a system change is a harder change, but it's still a change you can do. Yeah. When it's the setting in the campaign itself that's where it gets a little bit more tricky because at that point you might just have to scrap the whole thing and that sucks, but there are still things that you can do to salvage your creative work in that arena. Like you might take some of the MPCs that you had in that setting and, and trans transcribe their personalities onto the next one, or even use some of the scenarios that were happening with the characters and have them playing around in the background. Like if you really thought that this was still a cool idea, maybe entice them in a different way by making, okay, these will be the, this is the NPC background action that's happening. And you guys are going to do something different. And maybe later on down the road, you can find out where they intertwine or maybe they get reinvested. Um, but sometimes you just have to scrap it and start over and put it and put it in your drawer and maybe never see it again. That sucks, but time heals all wounds, right?
1: And sometimes it can like getting to the system thing. Like if you, as a group, decide, okay, we're gonna, oh, this new game is out. We're really excited to play it. We sit down, we start playing it, and you get five, six sessions in, and everybody's unengaged, and people are, you know, skipping out on games, and you yourself aren't, you know, feeling uh, like motivated to, to work on it because of um, how it's going, and it, like it's entirely possible. That it is the system. And it's mm-hmm. just like this game in this world just didn't turn out to be what you all wanted it to be. Um yeah. it just like the the mechanics ended up being denser or simpler than what you want, or the the game world isn't just it, it isn't engaging in the way that you want it to be, and like changing it would be a lot of work. Why don't you just play something that's a little more, you know, that's in a setting that's more like that, what you're looking for? Like right. I I I ran into uh, that playing, um, I was playing in a game where we switched. We were play- had been playing D so we were, you know, uh, oftentimes, you know, like big, big, big damn heroes, right, running around mm-hmm. being all super awesome. And we decided to play Call of Cthulhu. I had never played it before. I'm a horror fan. I figured I would really get into Call of Cthulhu, but it was such a drastic shift in the group dynamic from one type of game to another um, that I just was not into it at all, despite really liking moody. Horror atmospheric kind of stuff. It just wasn't working for me at all at that time, you know. And like we were playing it in on on a Saturday afternoon in a room that had too much light. Oh, you know, there was just everything was working against it. Um, it was learning a new system that I wasn't really, you know, jiving with, and just yeah, just sometimes it just doesn't work. Like it's okay for the group to say, you know what, this was a bust. This just doesn't work for us. We're not interested in this.
2: I I did that once switched midstream to an entirely different system with the same game where the system wasn't working for us so we just basically switched engines and kept all the characters and npcs uh and that went a lot more smoothly afterwards just because the new system fit better with the group um that is a lot of work though.
0: do you have any tips to to do something like that well first do you have any tips to figure out if the system's the problem and then if you do
2: well i feel like it? i feel like yeah the the main tip for the system being the problem is that that's where the friction is coming from where people are like trying to do things but the system is not supporting what they're trying to do in game mm-hmm. and players will generally complain about it uh if that happens uh they'll complain about the system itself uh thwarting them from what they're attempting to do and uh really i think you gotta got to take the temperature of the group and know uh, or you know if it's a group that you've played with a lot before you'll know what kind of systems they enjoy Uh, if you don't know what systems they enjoy you've got to have a more meta discussion about that so that you can sort of get an idea of what each individual player is coming from where they're coming from as far as what they want out of the system and then try to find one that's more appropriate yeah
1: you can run into that i think I, I, I had it happen with, um, with Rollmaster. I've, hi- I've got history with some of this stuff. Um, we had, we, again, the same group that had played a lot of D&D, we went to Rollmaster, t- just thought we'd try that out. And I don't, we didn't play it for very long because it was just not for us. We, we, we just trashed right. it. We just like, no, no good. Um, and I think, and, and this happened with, the, with this group, and then I think it happens, uh, it can be a, a telltale sign. If, if you start playing the game, especially like if it's a new game, And you get a few sessions in and you realize like people, everybody's constantly looking things up in the game, in, in the rule book, they're, they're always getting bogged down with stuff. It's like, that's probably a sign that people aren't absorbing the rules that they're just, which means they're maybe not getting into them or they're not spending the time to learn them because they're just not as interested in them because it does, you know, like there's something about it that isn't clicking and working for them. So like, and that can be a real uh, that can be an issue quite a bit with um, with denser games, with more robust yeah. rule systems, where people don't want to like you. You find yourself six sessions in, and everybody has to constantly look up the rules for X, Y, or Z. It's because nobody's like really committing to learning it because they're just they just don't feel like this is something they're into.
2: Yeah.
0: yeah. And Brennan, I like how you put it. The mechanics are getting in the way of what the players want to do. That is a very like that's a solvable problem there for you. It's it's so much more solvable than the vibe isn't right, because they're they're literally encountering that friction. And that means they want to enjoy their characters. They want to enjoy the game, but they are just have that obstacle there.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And I had a a situation a lot like Craig's talking about when we were playing uh, Legend of the Five Rings, one of the players was very engaged with the system and the other two players just weren't that interested in it. Mm. And so we did end up switching halfway through to another less, you know, that system that had less overhead basically for the players because the guy who was engaged in the system was exploiting all of the rules uh, uh-huh. to make a very competent character and the other players just felt like they couldn't do anything,
0: mm. so. Yeah, I've, I've seen stuff like that happen too. And that can happen a lot with with newer players who aren't like super sure of what the rules are. I felt that way sometimes in a campaign, it's no good. It makes me feel like I'm doing bad as a player and I don't want to play anymore because they're going to think that I'm stupid and they right. will make fun of me. I don't know, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I think all of this is a it's a different kind of campaign failure than what yes. Craig mentioned at the beginning. Like at the end, there's a huge mass flight failure on the part of the players i have been in a very disappointing situation before where we had this really cool epic campaign literally the last adventure we were on in the final boss fight that everything had been building up to tpk oh been there. no yeah been there it yeah.
1: Year, and a, year and a half campaign sucked. tpk final combat
0: it felt like all of the air just went out of the room everyone even the GM, we were all like Ugh. so what our gm did was like recognize because doesn't want to just because all of the the campaign we were in was a continuation of a previous campaign like some of the elements although there was a time skip and wanted to keep playing in this world so we wanted to still recognize the consequences of our failure but oh, still kind of go for I, it. So
1: I went through that exact same thing where we, we decided, okay, so the, the characters fail, the evil wins, this terrible thing happens, these evil, whatever, take over the world. Now you're playing freedom fighters in this world. That is the result of your previous characters That's failures. Cool. And it sounded cool on paper. And then it but became it a session cool. by yeah. session reminder of our failure. <sighs> of the previous campaign. And it's just different people, different mindsets, different, they look at things different ways. Too many of the players were just like, I just can't get into this because I'm just constantly reminded of how disappointing Mm -hmm. that previous campaign was. And, and we we had to completely shift to something brand new, completely, like Mm. just get, get away from completely cleanse our palate and move on.
0: What RGM did was kind of left it on a cliffhanger, just like shuffled everything together and said, okay we're going to we're going to start our new campaign next time but we we don't get to know what happened to this character who escaped and my character could reincarnate um so we don't know what happened to my character and i said well we're we're going to stop here and we're going to do the next campaign and you don't know what happened to anything and the next campaign there weren't any it was nazis on the moon basically the nazis on the moon didn't take over <laughs> The world went on. Mm-hmm. Why we didn't we didn't get to know? So it kind of added this element of mystery, like failing forward, as powered by the apocalypse likes to do. Yeah, and and taking that failure to create a narrative interest. But Craig, I'm glad that you said that you had a negative experience with playing in the failed world. I think that that's very insightful. It's very that- it's a
1: personal thing. Like some people, you might get you'll have a mix of players that feel differently about it, or you might have enough players that are into it that they get the other people excited. Right. Or you might have enough people that they're just not into it, that they kind of unknowingly not trying, not purposefully suck the energy out of it. Um, Even for the, for the few players that are kind of into it. And if everybody's kind of recognizing, oh, well, like, you know, four out of six players aren't really enjoying this. We need to change. Yeah. Um, Yeah. It's like, it's, it's so personal.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: there are there are people out there who play you know gritty death riddled character uh death riddled games where their characters are getting killed all the time they've experienced multiple tpks and they just soldier on they carry on and everything's fine and there's some people who you know opposite end of the spectrum have never had a tpk and then you know like oh, god, help hap- god help them if it happens god help them if it happens at the climactic moment in the in the yes. long the long campaign that can be really painful for people who just aren't used to it
2: absolutely yeah that's um I mean, if you're gonna have character death on the table, that's a danger that you will run into is that climactic battle just turning out really awful because it's it's really down to the roll of the dice a lot of the times. So, and not anything that the players even do.
0: Yeah, oh. I, I think that those <laughs> those failures can be really interesting in some situations. And you might think like in real life life can be disappointing, but we are crafting a story and the story Mm -hmm. should still be narratively interesting. I'm thinking of like, in Game of Thrones, there were a lot of moments where a character died before their prime, but it was done in a very narratively satisfying way. And then maybe in some of those later seasons, they stopped allowing it to be very narratively satisfying uh, in the show. And I, I think that balancing the consequences of death, like Brennan, like, like what you said, you have to kind of have those consequences on the table, but your job as the GM is to still allow like you don't you want the um the ability to feel it, but also trudge forward and not have everything grind to a halt. You want yeah. the you want the climax to be able to continue and resolve in a satisfying way, even if it's a unhappy ending.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely.
1: I had a GM once with this is long time ago. We played a campaign where the GM ran um an adventure, a module, a written, written adventure, and decided to write to play it by letter of the rules, like with the way it's written. And it was, it was, it was a dangerous, deadly, potentially, you know, it was it was an end-of-the-world scenario. There's a possible there's a fair possibility that characters are gonna die, fair possibility that you could fail at all of this. And didn't specifically tell us all of this, but like, that's what it was. We played and uh, we failed in the end, like everything went to hell and it was, you know, end of the world kind of stuff. And, um, that GM made perhaps the mistake of telling me some months later that we had, that we had effectively failed at like four episodes to go, that there was nothing we could have done Mm -hmm. by the rule, by the letter of the module uh, that, that we could have saved because we failed at enough other things previously that we weren't going to be able to pull out, pull things out in the end. Now, that failure as a GM, um I wrote, making a I don't want to say failure, but let's say making a poor choice, mm-hmm. um, to have that kind of be dictated. Not not wild about that. Person was otherwise an excellent GM, never had, you know, had nothing but great experiences, played with this person many, many times. They made a choice to to go that direction, and it was the it was the wrong one. And it was mm-hmm. like it it made for like a really terrible situation at the end where everything fell apart. I've now told the story of all three campaigns that I've played in that have failed horrendously.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I think that's where the safety tool of like a script change can come into hand. It can be very handy because there are some times where you recognize that you've made a mistake.
1: (laughs) Boy, did I bone that?
0: (laughs) And I think like you might feel like, well, I said it. Well, let's keep going, but that's not true you can hit a rewind button mm-hmm. you can retcon kind of stuff and if you want to keep it in the fiction i i mentioned this a couple episodes back i don't know you could do like a a time a a, a a time travel thing oh you went back to the beginning right at that climactic moment or maybe it was all a dream or i don't know maybe someone made a wish and everything came out well or you can pull out a deus ex machina there's there are things that you can do when you realize like Oh yikes! I've I've failed in this moment. That that it's not gonna be set in stone. Even if like you get to the end, you get a couple sessions. Like like you're playing a couple sessions of a new game, you can still feel that disappointed atmosphere of all of your players who have just failed. There's not there's no law. There's no RPG law that says why don't we play that one over again. Mm-hmm. think about it creatively maybe like maybe you could make a real life situation or maybe you just want a little bit of catharsis and you want the players to come back in some way mm-hmm. why not why not there's no law about it talk to your players about it
2: right uh, well i think that's interesting because i think that the culmination of the campaign is not something we think about when we're talking about stuff in session zero
0: yeah
2: and i think it should be something that you mentioned in session zero is the uh the the concept that you know you could lose just so that people are prepared for it uh i think a lot of the disappointment comes from the idea that you know things are going to be successful and then they're not uh rather than being pre-prepared that it could go really south
1: yeah especially if the group that you're playing with you've been playing with for a while you've played other you know, you know, one shots campaign, short campaigns, long campaigns, whatever. And you've generally been successful. It's been like, there's these struggles right. along the way and you have to work for it, but you generally succeed mm-hmm. um, because that's the type of game we play. And then all of a sudden there's one where everything just goes spiraling right down the toilet. And you're like, I don't <laughs> know how to handle this. Um, and it yeah. can come about from, from a number of, uh, you know, number of choices, number of reasons. Um, and it's just, uh, you yeah, know, be prepared <laughs> to talk about that. And I want to mention too, before, you know, so that I don't forget, Brennan made a good point about like the postmortem. I think for for groups that do ongoing campaigns and anything of like just more than a you know more than a few sessions, having like a, a postmortem after a campaign wraps is maybe especially if you're going to continue to game with the same people, um, can be as as useful as the session zero in some ways. Um, knowing like what worked well for this campaign, um, and that can inform you. Uh, uh for your choices when you start to think about the next campaign because if something like you know the players might surprise you they might say something like well you know we we, we got through it but we really had a rough spot here where like things were not jiving and this and that you know this was a problem and that was a problem and, and we all kind of you know figured out a way to kind of slug our way through it and deal with it but you know just knowing after the fact that like that would help you as a gm to not repeat the mistakes of the past
2: mm-hmm yeah. And I think that is actually a good tool to use even on a game, which didn't have problems just so that, you know, mm-hmm. where there were rough spots and where, and what you were doing that was really hitting the the mark.
1: And there may have been some little problems that you simply didn't know about because the players yeah. again, didn't want to hurt anyone's feelings. It didn't want to bring anything up. So they just kind of suffered in silence um, until right. something was, there was a thing that was bothering them and it's like, oh, and now it's passed and I don't have to worry about it anymore. So like, yeah, you know, a player in that position might find themselves saying like, well, I'm glad I didn't bring it up because it would have just brought the room down and upset the GM. And like, you know, clearly we got past it and it's all good, but gives you the chance after the fact to say, you know, right there around uh, session, 12, 13, 14, this was going on. And it was like, I was just not engaged and interested and involved. And yeah. I feel there was a, something that wasn't working and here's what I thought. And then mm-hmm. you as the GM can grow and, Become a better GM and learn from the, uh, learn from things, Yeah, learn happen.
0: from the failure. Yeah. It can always be a learning opportunity.
1: People talk Absolutely. about, yeah, people talk about that all the time. I'm just going to real, just as a note, like, you know, if you're not failing, you're not trying hard enough, all that kind of thing. Right. Like you're going to write your first game. You're going to fail at your first game. Um, you're going to, you write your first shirt story. It's going to be terrible. Like that, that, that happens with jamming too. You're going to, you're going to GM something that just didn't work
2: and you can learn from that.
0: Brennan, did you have a specific campaign failure that made you want to choose this topic? Did you have one in mind?
2: Uh, I didn't actually, it just seemed like an interesting topic. Uh, You know, I have had some campaigns that have failed, but they've always failed in ways that were like player level rather than in the campaign level, right? Mm -hmm. Like uh, the players started getting in fights with each other that couldn't be resolved, you know, and, the campaign ended over that, or people just were like, you know, I'm just not interested in this anymore. Let's switch to something else. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. I haven't ever had a TPK as the big bad though. That hasn't happened to me.
0: Oh, it's painful. It's, it's rough.
2: It, it's it sounds rough. it sounds rough. It does. It does, and it's not even something I ever thought about before. But it's really something that I do need to think about. So,
0: yeah, I I think. If you're trying as a GM to figure out how to make a failure work really well and satisfactorily, like finding gritty, dark TV shows and movies. Well, TV shows usually like season finales of things can be really cool. Um, The most recent season finale of The Boys is, I think, a good example of a without spoiling things like would be a good example to kind of like pull from and learn I don't feel like that's as big of a spoiler because all of the seasons end with a sort of failure right but uh, I think that those are good places to look for for how to move on in a narratively satisfactory satisfactory way Mm -hmm. (laughs) but if a campaign just fizzles out like you just gotta try try better next time.
2: Exactly. And that's generally what I do. I'm just like, well, that just didn't work. So let's do something else.
1: (laughs) Sometimes you just got to throw some dirt on it, say some nice words, (laughs) exactly, (laughs) and move on to the next one.
0: Speaking of moving on, what do you do when you're, you have a failure as a game designer, which I feel like is even more personal. It feels more personal and, and gut wrenching as a failure when it's um your your own design work (laughs) is coming to a a failing point i'm curious about your experiences
2: well for me if if something is not working i'm happy to just throw it in the trash Uh, And, but the thing is, I always pick over the bones of whatever I was working on for the few good things that were in there and use those for my next project or some future project. Uh, There's never a failure as a designer that I've had that everything didn't work it's always like some particular part of it didn't work and and i've i've run into that wall where I've just, you know, the system's not working, and then I put it to the side and then a year or two later, I'm suddenly like, oh, I know what the solution to that is now and and come back to it and fix it. So, uh, you know, as a designer, I feel like I'm always iterating on things. Hmm. So it's not so bad for me when it's a failure. I'm just like, oh, that was an idea that I had that didn't work out.
0: That's a really good point. Thinking of it as a cyclical thing, because a failure doesn't have to be a hard ending stop. It's over and you get nothing. Right. Yeah. Like taking it and and continuing to iterate for sure. Building on, building on things that didn't work as well and, and and shopping them to come back later. That's a good, I think that is the attitude that you need to have when you're coming into work like this.
2: Uh, I No, I totally agree uh, as a, you know, any kind of creative work. I think that's mm-hmm. important for you. Don't get too stuck on the things that you're, that you're putting in there. Don't get, don't, you know, that's why they say, you know, kill your darlings, because uh, a lot of times you have got this idea of some cool thing and then it's not working, don't be afraid to just drop it.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, I've, I've spoken about this multiple times that die laughing took 10 years. Uh-huh, that was an idea that went through a number of iterations that just weren't working. Um yeah. and I tried it a whole bunch of different ways until I finally, after 10 years, hit on the thing that like, all of a sudden, oh, this makes it all kind of tie together nicely. And then I, I just barfed out the rules in the course of like a month. Like it just it flowed out of me once I figured out that thing. Like sometimes that's what it takes. Like what's you, you know, you, you can design something that like it either isn't working for you in your head, it's not quite getting where you expected it to be or maybe you do get it into playtest a little bit and it just doesn't do what you were thinking it was going to do and you can't figure out what it is that's not working and you you know if you if you want spend some time on you know uh, iterating and investigating and trying to figure out what the problem is but also give yourself permission to say okay this just this goes up on the shelf Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just going to put this on the shelf for now. I may come back to it. I may, you know, cannibalize it for a couple of pieces later in some other game. I may never see it. I may, ne- you know, I may never touch it again. Yeah. Code Warriors is a- back from the dead. That was a resurrected game. That was a game idea that I took quite a ways down the road and ran some play tests and was just like, this just isn't working.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and it completely, uh, completely kind of reinvented it around a different dice system that was uh, more conducive to what, what I was trying to do with the game in the first place. Right. I think
0: so that we- took, But it
1: took, I had to get around to designing that DICE system for another game <laughs> <laughs> before I realized, oh, now I've got this system I can work from. Right, and, that and, and like that's what I mean years. about iteration
2: is that you'll come up with different yeah. things when you're looking at different stuff and you can kind little bits from the old games uh, that that then work with your new systems, yeah.
0: I think the way that a lot of us learn in school, like the creative work that we do in school, that we kind of get trained, we get this reward system in place, isn't really how the creative process works. Because in school, there's a hard deadline, at the very least of graduation, or at the very most at graduation. But often this is like, you know, you have to turn it in at this point in time. And sometimes we have deadlines like that in our design work. Like if you have a Kickstarter you need to fulfill, or there's a contest deadline that you need to hit. But really, there's is, there is no real deadline set in place for your work, your creative work in reality.
2: Mm-hmm. For, for most designers.
0: For most designers. For
2: most designers. Again, if you're a freelance yeah, designer, that might be a different story. That's yeah. different.
0: That's different. Yeah. But, but we, yeah, we,
1: if you're a designer, publisher, and doing your own thing, like, yeah.
0: When you're being trained and you have that deadline mentality, One of the things of the creative process that gets pushed the wayside and that I think even gets left out of a lot of writing classes in general is the reflection portion of Mm -hmm. the creative process, because you think oh draft write, rewrite turn in. There is a period of reflection that if you just get into that that. Three cycle, three step cycle that you're missing out on. A reflection process allows you to step outside of the work and think about it from this metacognition angle of what worked, what didn't, what felt good, what didn't. And even giving yourself that time, like Craig, like what you said, and Brennan too, stepping away from the project, giving yourself the literal space and time to think about it with less emotion tied into it. Mm -hmm. And, and And going from there, if you don't give yourself the time to reflect or you don't actively reflect you're missing out on a lot of the cool stuff that your brain can do. With your creative work you're missing out on maybe the opportunity to make connections outside of the game yourself, you know we get that kind of tunnel vision on a game or on a creative work, and this is the only thing you can think about step out of it, put it in a drawer. I say that cuz like literally people used to put their drafts or paper drafts in drawers when yes. when typewriting was the thing uh, for for book publishing. And don't think about it for a bit. Give yourself the time and then go back and reflect later. It's yeah. if you have the luxury of time, that's great. But I think I try to build in reflection into all of the work that I do. And I feel like it makes me it makes me feel better about my failures because I'm always trying to learn from them. And yeah, I, I think that not forgetting that specific part of the process, it will, will really be a benefit to everybody. Mm-hmm. Maybe you journal about it. Maybe you just meditate about it. Maybe you rant about it on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Uh, either way, <laughs> <laughs> you know, all the three ways of reflecting Twitter. <laughs> the, three ways of, the
2: three ways of reflecting. Twitter <laughs>
0: rants. <yes>. and. <laughs>
2: No, that, that's a great point. I, I love that idea that the reflection needs to be a part of the process because I, I think it does. Uh, I I take a long time. I mean, I'm always working on three or four designs at the same time because I always take a long time to finish the stuff that I'm doing. And because I need those reflection points, I need to set it aside and let my subconscious work on it, which is where a lot of the um, the inspiration comes from that fixes those problems that have come up.
0: Yeah. Before, before Moonpunk, before we did Moonpunk, we had an idea for a game, Alex and I, that like we even started getting into the drafting process. And when we were talking about it and reflecting on it, we realized it it wasn't going to work. It was too big of a project for us to handle at the time. We didn't know what we were doing. And if we had just continued to push forward and keep drafting and keep writing, we might've invested way more time into that project for something that would have ultimately failed if we didn't take that time to reflect and, and talk about it with other people and with each other. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so there, that's a game that we're going to come back to, I'm sure. Cause I keep thinking of really cool stuff to do with it, but it's in, it's in the shut, it's in the drawer right now and
2: yeah.
0: I'll come back to it when I can come back to it.
2: Right. And you're, and you're thinking about it and it's going to be better because of that. So, exactly. Yeah.
0: Exactly. And with more experience under my belt.
2: Yeah
1: and i uh i mean i don't have i don't have a partner that i'm working with um the way you do mm-hmm. um so i don't have someone necessarily to sit down and talk to directly so i have this podcast um, where i can do a little bit of that reflecting occasionally talking about stuff that i'm working on but also um you know i i do it to an extent a little bit with twitter but i definitely do it on the discord because i the discord is populated by people who are legitimately interested in my games and my work and I I bounce ideas about what I'm working on. I I talk about like where something's fallen apart <laughs> or, or I'm I'm stumped on something so I'm going to set it aside. And it's a way for me to sometimes I get feedback, sometimes it, you know, does become like having that little conversation that helps me to realize, okay, maybe this needs to just get set aside or maybe I need to, you know, think about, think about it in a different way. But it or or even if nobody responds specifically, it's just it's a ritual to go through. That allows me to kind of say like, okay, I've got this frustration. I've put it out there mm-hmm. and I've recognized, you know, like I'm, I'm using posting it on the discord as a way to recognize that I'm having a problem with this thing, that this thing isn't working. And that, you know, that means it's, you know, it, b- the biggest thing is rec- for me, it's like recognizing if something's not working and being, and giving myself permission. Like this is, we talked about it with the previous topic, which is like giving yourself permission to fail and permission to just set it aside or give up mm-hmm. on something. Um, and sometimes that's what I do. Like I went through two different iterations of a game um, here in the last year or two, and um, they both did not work in different ways. <laughs> um, and one of them even went into play testing and I got play test feedback from people. And I was just like, there's just some, there's some things that are standing in the way of this and it's on the shelf now and may live there forever. Who knows? Mm-hmm. But the, the important point for me was to, to, recognize that that's the case and that i'm okay with that and give myself permission to just say okay set it aside
0: what about when the failure is not game design it has nothing to do with you really your kickstarter failed or you're not selling the eight books that you want to sell yeah brendan just big side there
2: Yeah, <laughs> it's happened to me multiple times So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah some of the some of the stuff like uh that i've worked on i've thought was really good really quality and then i just didn't get the sales you know um and it just maybe yep. i didn't hit the market uh right uh, i didn't market it well enough or it was just something that i was interested in but nobody else was so <laughs> you know that's uh I, I've, I've designed things that are a hard sell before so
1: yep i've i've done that myself i did that i I don't consider good strong hands a failure, but I feel that the Kickstarter underperformed, mm-hmm. and I think it underperformed for a number of reasons. And some of them are on me, and some of them are the fault of the world um, <laughs> because I did <laughs> Kickstarter. Well, I did Kickstarter in twenty twenty.
2: Oh, um, ouch. yeah.
1: When people were still a little bit tight with their money and not sure about what was going on with the pandemic and everything, but there was, you know, there's there's a number of reasons. You know, like ultimately, um, the Kickstarter succeeded. I I printed books I've sold many of those books I'm um, due to happenstance of things happening this year there's a good chance that I will sell out of some of those books um here before the end of the year but what it comes down to also is thinking about like define what success is for you um and that can be different for every project you can work on it can d- be different for the different areas that you work in. What's successful? What do you consider successful for a big game? What do you consider successful for a little game? What do you consider successful for marketing, for interacting with the fan base, for convention Mm -hmm. attendance? Like you can can think about all those things in a lot of different ways in that sometimes you're going to be very, very successful with certain things, sometimes surprisingly so. Mm -hmm. And sometimes things are going to underperform. um, And you might be tempted to think of those as failures, but you're also kind of looking at the aggregate. Um, because you're going to be involved in a lot of different things, it's very likely. um even if you just have one or two games, there's still other as- there's aspects of like, you know, well, this game didn't sell very well, but I learned a lot. Yeah, I consider it very successful because of that. Or I made some contacts, and now I've got all these great freelancers who want to work with me on the next one.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Like sometimes that's the success that you can get out of something. Um, and so thinking about terms of uh, thinking about what success and failure mean to you, and and finding the successes that you weren't expecting can right. be very useful as well.
2: I find my my creative success is often completely divorced from economic success yes. like those yep. two things are unrelated. <laughs> <laughs> right. It would, wouldn't it be great if they were? If the thing that you're
1: <laughs> right. most passionate about was also the thing that got you the most money. You'd feel yes. so vindicated.
2: Yes. <laughs> But uh, you know, there's things that I've been very passionate about that haven't sold well, yeah. and there's things that I'm like, oh, this would be a cool project, but I'm not like really invested in it that have had great results. So you know, it's 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 a toss up, and you've got to be if you're a creator publisher, you've got to be prepared to move on from projects that don't succeed, and and just mark it up as a as a learning experience. So.
0: Yeah. There are so many people out there who want to write a game and then they never do. And that is the failure. The never doing it is the only real way to fail or failing once and stopping and then just giving it all up. Well, I I think
2: an initial failure can be really
0: disheartening. Yeah, it can be. Mm -hmm.
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah. You can dwell on the thing that didn't perform as well, but the thing that didn't do as well. um, Awfully easy. And sometimes it takes a little bit of work to convince yourself that like, oh, but these other things that I do like about it and that I do consider successful are so much more important. Mm-hmm. I'll right. use another example out of my own. Um, Felt Friendship and Feelings is a game about beat your Muppets, basically. It's the Muppet right. Show game. Did it as like a little zine game. It didn't take long to design. It was easy to play test. It's very simple and straightforward. It's got cute art. Um, it didn't do terribly well on Kickstarter. And I don't sell a lot of copies of it. But I made a kid's game. I mean, a game where sharing your dice is part of the, is, is the mechanic of, is part of the mechanic of the game. And I, you know, now Nerdberger Games has a kid's game and I've had people tell me that they absolutely adore that. And it's going to be in German soon because a German uh, translator publisher was like, this is wonderful. (laughs) (laughs) And they wanted to make it uh, and translate it. So like that's, that's an unexpected success. Like I've only Mm -hmm. been approached by two translators to translate things. And one of them is for a game that I consider to be like, like, oh, this is kind of flash in in the pan that kind of monetarily didn't do a lot, but I'm, I'm, I'm proud of it. And it was a type of game that I had never done before. And it, you know, it strikes the right chords for the right people.
2: Well, and I think part of avoiding the True disappointment uh, is being proud of your work uh, so that you can be proud of it, even if other people don't recognize it right, so you know put. Put your whole effort into everything that you do so that you don't you don't create something that you're not proud of because that's the one that's going to be a financial success you watch. Right.
1: Exactly. <laughs> and then you won't, and then you won't particularly like it. And yeah, probably demanding exactly. supplements yes. and a revised edition. And you'd be like, oh yeah. Well, I guess I'll do it for the money. Kurt
0: Cobain playing smells like Teen Spirit.
1: Yeah. Right. That's that's an that's an extremely apt um, exactly. a metaphor for all of that because uh yeah, Kurt Cobain, like the success of Nevermind. He he loved the album. He's proud, he was proud of it. He was horrified by the success of it Uh um and uh you know they went about specifically trying to do things that on on subsequent albums that wouldn't be like Nevermind Yeah. because they didn't want to have that kind of success again because it was he found it very overwhelming
2: yeah
0: I think if you want a really big boost to your confidence about being a game designer is you find someone who has no idea about what game design is. You tell them that you're a published author and you tell them how many copies you sold. And it doesn't matter how many copies you sold. They'll have no frame of reference. And they'll say, oh my gosh, that's <laughs> you amazing. You sold 50 what?
1: copies of this thing that you poured out of your brain? That's, that's spectacular.
0: So
2: cool. <laughs> right. Right.
0: I, I think yeah. it's worth it to outline for yourself and again, like to take, not literally outline, but to take some moments to reflect and think about what is success for you and what is failure for you. Right. And, and really think about what that means. And, and when you do encounter a failure, look back at what you were, what you were saying about what success means. And you're going to find the parameters in there with your failures. We're, we're a lot harsher on ourselves in the moment. hmm uh, again because your emotions are wrapped up into it it is it's your little baby athena that has sprouted from your cranium it's you right. it's you and you put time into it and you thought it was cool and when other people don't think it's cool that hurts it's like they're telling you that you're not cool i get it yeah, <laughs> yeah. i get it but then all of the yeah. little successes that like all the congratulations that people have said like maybe write those down keep keep screenshot comments that you really liked you know what? Put them in your little dream board and go back to them and and suck that up vampire style
1: yes you know what I found is really useful is if you have a Facebook account um write about those little successes so that three years from now
2: it'll remind you will have
1: a you'll have a (laughs) memory that will come up and you'll be like oh yeah (laughs) <laughs> yeah. that, I didn't do that on purpose, but I have found that that has been kind of sustaining. There have yeah. been times where I've, I've had something pop up in my Facebook feed as a memory that I wrote about. And I was like,
2: oh, oh yeah,
0: <laughs> that <laughs> yeah. was
1: pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, That's That was great.
0: one of the problems with my diary keeping. Cause I would typically only write in my diary if I was feeling really bad about myself. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so no. then I would go back when I was feeling bad about myself, I would read my diary. Like, yeah, I suck. Well, I've I've like really like I've worked in therapy even like how to reframe my consciousness to to really um combat the inordinate amount of emotion and and feeling that a failure will give you compared to what a success will give you and and really trying to look at the the actual number and, Mm -hmm. and the actual the impact that you're doing
2: rather than just
0: yeah exactly
2: yeah psychologically uh failure hurts worse than success feels good
1: (laughs) (laughs) and it's and it's there's there's a relativity to it as well because we've all we've all heard people you know the discussion about you look at people's social media and it's all these people talking about like, oh, I went down on vacation and I did this great thing and I got a new job. And, and so it seems like everybody else is having mm-hmm. like nothing but great stuff going on. They're just not writing about the failures the and the painful yes. stuff that's going well, into their diary right? <laughs> that they're keeping private yeah. um, or they're just dwelling on it. And that's not good. But yeah. like you, you, you have to kind of like, you know, maybe um, if you're if you're in the boat that Jess is, and I'm not going to say, Jess, you should do this, but this is just a thought for anybody who tends to write about their painful stuff in diaries is, uh, you know, maybe have a, a second journal where you're just, where you only write the good stuff. And so every so often you can go back and reread that and be like, oh yeah, two years ago, I was really on a high because this game was... Uh, Got a lot of good reviews, or 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 nominated you know, for somebody or re- somebody reached out to me somebody reached out to me and told me about the stuff that they created for the game because they were yes. inspired by what I created.
2: And that's really that's really cool. Yeah, we're so. nominated for. An, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna be living on that one for a few years, regardless
1: yeah. of how things go.
2: The nomination <laughs> is the true judgment.
1: That's what everybody tells me, and that's what I'm preparing myself. That that's going to be my it's an honor just to be it's nominated. Your, it's
2: your consolation, yes. I well, understand. and that's
1: yeah. That's the that's the thing that anybody like you hear that from award show people, people who are nominated for awards all the time. Yeah, it's an honor just to be nominated.
2: Well, the and, and you can actually because because of the way that they they're judged, yeah, right? I feel because like the nomination is actually the meaningful part. Yeah, so the,
1: it becomes a who can get the word out more yeah exactly um, to see who wins
2: but one of the things i was going to say about Mm -hmm. um, design failure is the important part of design failure is to move on so if you release something or you create something and it doesn't work don't let that stop you i mean the reason i'm still around and the reason Galileo games is still around is that the four or five times that has happened to me i haven't stopped producing things Mm -hmm. because i've had failed kickstarters my very first game was like a D&D knockoff that did not do well at all. So, <laughs> you know. Yeah,
0: I'm, and, I'm, I, I love when people share those failures too, especially like, I like I think both Nurburger Games and Galileo Games does better than wannabe games by high levels. So when Craig was like, oh yeah, well I, I consider the good strong hands Kickstarter to have been kind of a failure. I, I'm like, wow, that's very interesting. Like the levels that people consider and, well, no, and it, I mean, no, it's, understood, there, understood, it's understood. not it's a judgment. Relative. I'm not right, saying it's, yeah. it's right. definitely relative because it's yeah. based it's on all how. Relative. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Like I went into it with expectation of it's a fantasy game. So it's the most popular genre mm-hmm. by far. Fantasy right. is the most popular genre of RPG. So it's a fantasy game. It's an homage to these particular movies that I know there's going to be gamers out there my age who are going to love these movies. And if I can communicate that, they'll they'll turn out. But then it was also offset by other things that were kind of working against it. And it just, you know, maybe, maybe also the time of the year that it happened and who knows, like there's, there's other factors that I, that are completely unknowable. And so that just brings me to think about too, like when you're thinking about success and failure is also recognize that your expectations are not necessarily accurate. Yeah. Um, you might go into something expecting, cause it, like you said, success and failure, are all relative and part of that relativity is your expectation. And if you expect something to do very, very well um, because of reasons X, Y, and Z, and then you know some other thing causes it to not do so well, that can hurt. Mm-hmm. And you can feel like, oh, I just, that that's, that, I, I try not to use the word failure. I try to say it underperformed or wasn't right. as, once it wasn't as successful as I would have liked it to be. But you have to look at it from the point of view of like your expectations, you, you maybe you... Maybe you said I'm a little too high. Maybe you were a little unrealistic and there's nothing wrong with having high expectations and trying hard and being positive, but also recognizing after the fact, like you said, and this is part of reflection is to say, you know, like I, I pumped myself up a little bit too much, a little bit too much <laughs> for that maybe. And, um, and now I'm feeling the downer, the downer because of it, because it didn't do what I wanted it to do. And, um, but then you never know, cause sometimes it turns around and, you know, it you might have something that didn't do well in Kickstarter, but that ends up being a pretty good sale long term. Like you get yeah. a, in this in the industry, what they call the tail. Um, the sale, the the, the long tail of of like, well, it sells, it sells a, a few copies every month. Like I make I make ongoing money. Even though the Kickstarter wasn't that great, it, it does well. Yeah. Long term. and like it pays off for me in the end. Or maybe you get it into a bunch of game stores and you see people posting, like, oh look, Craig, I saw your game in a Yes, in a game store, and that's That's like okay. That's that's, always
2: a big boost, right? Even though,
1: even though, like you felt a little down about something about the game, you find like, oh, it's like it's out there. Like there's people, there's there's people that are distributing it. There's game stores that are buying it and they're selling it to people through channels that you have no specific governance over. So like, it's surprising and exciting and fun.
2: I
0: always also remember comparison is the thief of joy
2: it is There's always going to be somebody that you can compare yourself to and make yourself feel bad. So, you know,
0: yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: Just who, who are you going to make yourself feel bad next to today?
2: Yeah, exactly.
0: Alex and I have said that many times we've, we've done games purely out of spite before. <laughs> so <laughs> so uh, not spite towards like specific creators, but for other things happening, but yeah. uh, that, that can maybe, maybe you can turn that into your strength. Right. Uh, <laughs> I, 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 I'm I so glad, Brandon, that you chose the topic of failure. Because you're right. People don't talk about it as much. And you look at your feeds and you always hear about, like, the, the Kickstarter that made a million dollars or yeah, oh, sure. all of this. And I'm sure that there are some people out there right now that are feeling, well, any any voting's over. But there are people out there who are feeling bad that they didn't get nominated or they will feel bad that they didn't win. But, so, I mean, just... Turn did you that, make? Did you make that.
1: something you were proud of?
0: Yeah, be proud. Yeah. Of it. Be proud of it.
1: Did you make something that? One, one thing I like to say too is like the, the game idea that you come up with. Right now, you've got a game idea in your head. There are people out there right now who are just waiting for that game. They yes. they may consciously think, I God, I wish there was a game that did this thing. Or they may not know it until they realize that it's there, and they'll be like, "Oh, obviously, this is a game for me. I absolutely need this game because it's just it's right <laughs> in my wheelhouse." Um, there are people out there that are waiting for that game, and regardless of where wherever else you measure success, knowing that you're putting that creative thing into someone's hands that is going to love it and mm-hmm. going to enjoy it, they're going to read it, they're going to absorb it, they're going to play it, they're going to have fun with it, um, or they're going to think about it um and dwell <laughs> and obsess maybe um that you know you can take a lot of comfort in that and that's ephemeral and you can't really measure it mm-hmm. but but it's there yeah everybody who's who's pr- producing some sort of work that's getting picked up even by just a handful of people that are that are buying it or or getting a download or whatever it's there yeah there's there's people that there's somebody that's in love with your game
0: you're adding a little bit of joy to the world which is what everybody needs and any positive impact, you're throwing that one little starfish in the ocean, mm-hmm. you know, just, just do nice things. Yeah. Brennan, thank you again for joining us.
2: Oh, yeah, it's always a pleasure. So thank you.
0: <laughs> well, and tell thank us you. Me. Thank <laughs> you
1: for taking us down this road. But then it also allowed us to end on that lovely note of just yes. like, yeah,
2: let's, <laughs> throw, let's throw some positivity together.
1: Um, thank you, Brennan.
0: Yeah. Brennan, tell us where we can find your stuff.
2: You can find my stuff at uh, GalileoGames.com. And uh, I have a couple of podcasts that you should check out uh, d and Dads and uh, Dungeon Not Included, which is an actual play podcast.
0: Awesome. I love d Dads. <laughs> <laughs> yes, That's it's, it's
2: game dream. advice from your d Dads.
0: I so. love it. <laughs> you can find me on Twitter. Uh, at Jaska, you can find my games on itch or drive through RPG at one games or at one of you
1: You can find me at Nerdburger Craig on Twitter. Um, the website is nerdburgergames.com. The games are up at drive through RPG, and uh, there's a Patreon, uh, Patreon.com Nerdburger NerdBurgerCraig, where we're uh, ramping up to Caper Cyber and people who patron, patronize, people who are patrons of the Patreon, um, get to see some of the work that's being done behind the scenes. Including artwork and new powers and uh, world building and all that stuff.
0: Yeah, and this time next week, I will be at Gen Con, and I did not forget what Craig said about giving me
2: $100. Son of a.
0: Uh, thank you to our opening and closing theme song, which is "Avil" by Step which was licensed under Creative Commons. Thank you, Step Sacks, and thank all of you for listening. And we'll see you back here next time. Bye.
1: Bye. I'll be at Gen Con too, <laughs> with a hundred dollar bill in my pocket, apparently. <laughs> or maybe I'll maybe I'll already have given it to Jess by the time you find me.
0: And as we said, losing that one hundred dollars will feel so much worse than gaining. Than me gaining a hundred dollars will feel good.
1: You got that right. <laughs>